Hi, I'm Rachel. And I'm Matt. And welcome to the Strange and Beautiful Book Club. for another episode. Welcome back, friends. Welcome back. It's time for our monthly book club episode. This time we'll be, we will be talking about Certain Dark Things by Silvia Moreno-Garcia. All right. Who is a fairly respected horror writer. She has quite a few other books. And in the foreword in this, she talks about the fact that this book actually got published before and almost immediately went out of publication because... There was a acquisition, it got lost in the shuffle, and it just kind of fizzled out, for lack of a better yeah, word. Yeah, swept under the rug. Yeah, and then it kept being this uh, underground black market vampire book that people would recommend and sell. and But you couldn't get a copy of yeah, it. Yeah, you couldn't get a new copy because it was out of print. I remember when this came out the first time. Not to be all... I remember when this came out the first time, but I remember when this came out the first time and it got recommended to me and I was like, oh, okay, but like, I'm not in the mood for whatever that sounds like right now. I don't always like it when vampires have um, like a structure, like a government or a yeah, a society that they're you're, a part of. You're a vampire anarchist. Yeah. Vampires must be like lone dogs or I'm not in this because the idea of becoming immortal and having to live an immortal life subject to the same kind of bullshit politics that I'm subject to now sounds like bullshit. Yeah, I call foul on that. So anytime I see that pop up on a book, I, I don't immediately want to read it. So it took me a while to get around to it. We read a copy that just came out this year because it's just been recently republished and is now back in, in publication. And I have to say, um, underwhelmed. Yeah, it was okay. Yeah, it, yeah. You know, it was one of those books like, it, it was all right. It was readable. I enjoyed parts of it. I don't necessarily know. that I have harsh things I would probably say about this book if I just talked about it off the cuff. And I don't want to be harsh about it because it's not a bad book. It's just, I don't know what happened. Like, I don't know what happened. Like, why did I read this? What happened? What, what was the purpose? Right. The plot of the book kind of boiled down to like a drug gang war cartel uh, resulted in this girl escaping. Yeah. Like the lone survivor situation. And she's just trying and to she's get just away. She's just trying to escape from the people chasing her. Yeah. And people, people help her. She's not running towards anything. Yeah. She's only running away from something. So there's not, it doesn't feel like there's a whole lot of plot going on. Yeah. There's a lot of push and no pull. And all of the characters that she leverages, she's just banking on her mom. I want to read the book about her mom. Her mom sounds like a really fucking awesome character. Yeah. Uh, I don't know that Adel is the character that needed to carry this novel 
to be honest. I think it needed meat at the beginning, and I think it needed more at the end. Or I needed flashbacks of her mom doing cool ass shit. Yeah, and I like Domingo's character. Yeah. Domingo's character is kind of a stereotypical begin of an adventure novel, and he's just living on the streets, just making making ends meet, yeah, and surviving and doing a little bit of things that he enjoys, and he has his fandoms that he likes to read, and and then he you know meets up with Adol, and that's kind of the start of his story. And then he ends up getting a payout at the end. Yeah. And left behind. And left behind. I mean, I guess I would say it was a spoiler. But by that point in the book, you're like, oh, okay. Well, that's probably for the best. I don't know. I don't don't know. And there's not a lot of – I mean, there's some vampire stuff, but there's not a lot of vampires doing cool shit. It's just vampires moaning about the state of the world and how hungry they are. Okay, so this book, Certain Dark Things, is the story about this vampire young woman yeah, who's running away from some people who are chasing her. Uh, and it's set in Mexico City, which seems like an interesting setting. I have really haven't read. I haven't consumed a lot of media that takes place in Mexico. Correct, yeah. So this was kind of an interesting view into what someone would... Um, write about in taking place in Mexico City. Yeah. So we're in like a future Mexico City alternate history. Alternate history. Yeah, where there's a bunch of different kinds of vampires. We really only talk about three of them. Yeah, there's, there's ten types. The Tlahuipoctli. <laughs> yes. The Tlahuipoctli, which the is what bird vampires. Adel is, Yeah. And they're kind of hummingbird like. Yeah. There's yeah. the necros. 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 I don't know. They're the I don't traditional. Know what the emphasis would be. They're your Dracula vampires. And then there's uh, one character who's a revenant, which is a like life energy vampire. Yeah. And they have like physical deformities, uh, I guess, too, as a balancing. <laughs> Well, because, because otherwise they would be they're not mystical. so overly powerful. They're species. They're like right. subspecies. They're not mystical. So they all have like genetic diseases that they're prone to. Kind Probably of like, because they're such a small Kind group of like size. Labradors always So there's get like inbreeding and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. There's not enough genetic diversity in the right. population. So they develop these genetic defects. Right. Yeah. I think that's what we're going with because they can't be made. Nobody can become a vampire. You have to be born a vampire. And none of them are immortal. They can just be very, very long lived. Right. Yeah. And so in 1967, yep. the world governments figured it out. Um, yeah. Kind of. Revealed to the world that vampires exist, and then there was a whole bunch of just international movements and lots of different countries setting different rules for vampires, deporting vampires, allowing vampires to stay, but with paperwork and being tracked and all that stuff. Yeah. And so the vampires all went from kind of operating in the shadows 
you know, silent hands behind whatever to now they kind of have to hide and people know they're there. Yeah. In certain places where vampires are prohibited, banned, they are hunted down and just killed. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the the setting that we're in yeah, where we this end novel up in takes place. Like Mexico, South America, because that ended up being the most lax area in terms of vampire legislation. So the vast number of them emigrated there. Yeah, except for Mexico City. Except Mexico City, which is an independent city state. It is a walled city state that does not allow vampires at all. And so a lot of people have moved there and it can keep its own economy running. Usta, like, it yeah. would have to be. Uh, but it, I guess, was attractive to enough people and enough businesses to operate in a place where there's a high confidence that there's no vampires. Yeah. That it can support itself. Right. And vampires are almost all involved in the drug trade. That became their main moneymaker because they can design these designer drugs and move them and they have the manpower and the resources and it's appealing to a group that operates outside the law traditionally anyway. anyway yeah. So Adel's family is like a huge drug, drug a, family. A cartel. Cartel. It's like cartel versus like versus European mafia. Right. And mob. it's a little bit like Kindred the Embraced. It's a little bit like Vampire the Masquerade, where every different type of vampire has their own social structure, and they can intermingle, but with rules. And there's a whole code that they all follow. Right. In terms of, just to prevent, to keep the peace, because their numbers are so low, outright war doesn't benefit anybody. But there is this one rogue clan, which are the Necros, and the Necros are just stirring shit up. They don't, but they don't obey the, the code. They don't yeah. go by the traditions. They just do what they want. They're the most prolific and, in some ways, the most powerful subgroup. So they've just been running roughshod all over everybody. And the main subplot that gets it takes almost the entire book for you to figure out all the pieces of is that Adel's family, um, they killed her mother. Right, so because she's they, the youngest daughter into the that area. I don't, does her does her family have a name like a group name? I think they have. A, she has a last name. Okay. Yeah. So the Necros are moving into Adel's family's sphere of influence for the drug trade stuff, and they take they kill Adel's mom, send the head to Adel and her sister Isel Isel who's now the matriarch of the f- clan family. And uh, everybody's angry. So. Well, they're angry, but they're not good. Like Itzel's not going to do yeah, anything. About Itzel's it. not going to do anything. Uh, but other family members are kind of egging Atal on to get revenge. So Atal goes on a solo mission, takes out some, people that uh, Godoy cares about and goes back home triumphant. And her sister says, what the fuck did you do? Yeah. They probably wanted you to do that because then they could, you know, keep the, 
the revenge cycle going. So then Godoy and his people show up and just kill everybody else in the whole household. But Atal and her dog escape. I think she hides in a fridge, like a freezer. Yeah, she freezer. hides in a freezer. And so they're is. chasing her for a while. She's escaping. And then she makes her way into Mexico City. She just hops on a truck and rides in. Because it'd be hard for vam- like overt vampires to follow her in. Well, it's easy to figure out that she's a vampire because she doesn't have the same body temperature. Right. Right, yeah. So they they have there's technologies for screening vampires from humans. Correct. Yeah. So she can't just walk in. She's got to sneak in. So she sneaks in, but while she's there, so much shit goes down. She can't sneak out because now they're on the lookout because they know vampires are there because necros are big and messy, and Nick in particular is a, has no impulse control. Has no impulse control. I thought that was really funny that there's a Nick, Nick, Nick the vampire, Nick the vampire, who is uh, Nick the brick a bit. Uh, impulsive, like a sledgehammer instead of a scalpel. I mean, that's the plot of the novel now, is she's in Mexico City and she's got to get out. She's got to keep going. Right, and she's she's running out of food. She hasn't had any blood in a while. Let's see, her subspecies of vampire feeds with their stinger or a proboscis. Um, Interesting take. So she doesn't like have a fangs. You know, yeah. like a hummingbird has the long tongue thing. Yeah. Yeah. So she doesn't have uh, fangs or anything, which is fine. It makes her easier to pass as human. And so she's stuck in the city. And so the main part of the novel, I guess the the novel, is about how she survives in the city. And she makes a friend slash... Renfield slash boy she's leading on. Yeah, Domingo. I think she's leading him on at first, and then I think he becomes a companion. Because she has no one, and she's used to living in a huge clan with a lot of other women. Because the women hold all the power in her clan, and the men are weaker and smaller, and they just tell the future. Yeah. And so they even live in their own. That was an interesting angle that we barely even touched on. Yeah. Did none of them see this coming? Right. I guess not. And she explained that her father was real, real good at that. Yeah, but he left. But he disappeared. Maybe he left because he saw it coming. We don't know. It'd be interesting if there was a sequel. Yeah. Uh, or a director's cut. Where we, where we just got, I just want more. Like I want, the world is cool. But I feel like I'm seeing a picture of the world, and I want to see a movie of the world. I want to see more of the moving parts of the world. Right. So the the feel of the novel is fairly like slice of life. We're just like riding along with these characters. Yeah. And it the characters are all very reactionary. They're not forward thinking. Uh, they don't have anything that they're trying to do other than stay alive. Correct. Yeah. Um, I guess get fake IDs yeah, so, they so they can get, get out of out. the city. That's that's kind of the that's the thing they're trying to do. Yeah. But once they kind of get around to talking to Eliza, or uh, I think she's under a different name now, mm-hmm. but they end up just calling her Eliza anyway. 
even though she's operating in the, like she's changed she's her changed her name changed her name under an assumed identity all that stuff uh, and they don't play along with it whatever once they finally talk to Eliza and they just have to survive for a few days while she does the paperwork um they're just kind of re responding reacting moment to moment uh again to stay out of the way of Nick and Rodrigo the necros who well Nick is the necro Rodrigo's a Renfield. His Nick's dad's Renfield. Yeah, like slash Nick's right hand man of the yeah. Godoy clan, whatever. And so they're in the city hunting for Atoll, and uh, their Domingo and Atoll are staying alive. Yeah, basically. Yeah, I feel like this had the potential to be something, and I think it is something really good. I think I do not think this is a bad book. I don't think this is the book it could have been. I feel like we got a lot of Adel is cashing in her mother's chips the entire book. The person who makes them fake IDs is the woman who used to work for her mother. The revenant guy, Bernardino, who ends up being the hero, him and Domingo end up like saving Adel because Adel is actually, even though she's a vampire, she's kind of a child. She's like a spoiled child. She's not actually capable of saving herself in the end. And so Bernardino is actually her mother's friend. And he says like her mother met him during the revolution. She was riding down the street. And she saved him. Like she on saved a his horse life. with a shotgun. And she pulled him up on the horse yeah. and rode off with him. And I'm like, that's the woman I want to read about. <laughs> the- <laughs> That sounds fucking amazing. Why was she on the horse? Why did she have the shotgun? Why was she there? How did she know he was a vampire? How come she was willing to risk saving the Revenant? Because as we find out, almost all vampires are terrified of Revenants because they can feed on anything, human or vampire. And we meet Nick. really fast with just a touch. Yeah, and we meet Nick, and Nick feels, um, he's the, I don't know, he's just a spoiled, he's another spoiled. He was a good bad guy yeah he was a good just selfish cruel right he's not bad guy he's not just pure evil he's young and undisciplined yeah and spoiled right because he's used to being top dog right and, and so he, he doesn't really understand he adds some some noise some conflict yeah. to rodrigo the professional if he didn't have to like take care of nick he would have been in and out and Adel would be dead. Right. But because I think they probably would have caught her before she even got to Mexico City because Nick keeps messing up Rodrigo's plans. Right. He keeps just mucking, sticking a stick in the works is what he keeps doing. And we have Quali, the dog, who has a large glowing green tattoo and so it's very distinctive. It's makes it very distinctive. It ends up being what gives her away 85% of the time. They're like, oh, did they have a dog with him? Oh, yeah, a big fucking dog with a big green tattoo. Right. Oh, she okay, drags this one. dog along with her all the way to, into Mexico City. Yeah. Why? I don't know. I mean, Quali's cool, but. I guess she needs some kind of protection while she's sleeping. Yeah. Because when vampires sleep during the day, they are. Well, she's not. Like, she's just knocked asleep. Out. But I don't. Okay, I thought she was like extra, um, extra comatose when she was no, sleeping. No, she just says, "I've always had a dog." 
He's like, why bring the dog? She's like, I don't know. I just always have a dog. And it's the last part of her family because everybody's dead. She Yeah, it's the last thing she has. She revenges, family. you know, she goes and kills some of the Godoy people. And then she comes back and Itzel's like, what the shit? And then they come and kill them all. And Adel has this fleeting idea that maybe she was used. Like maybe it was so easy to kill those people because she was supposed to kill those people because that way... They had an excuse they had an to excuse. revenge even more. And we don't really come back to that. There's a lot of, we don't really come back to that. And what was the motivation here? There was a lot of that. And I know Domingo is supposed to come off as accepting, like completely open and accepting. But some of the times he just comes off as, I'm actually not cognizant enough to realize the danger that I'm in. Which bothered. And then Anna was probably the thing that bothered me the most because Anna had the potential to be this really cool character. She is the seed of a really cool character. She had a vampire obsessed grandmother who taught her how to fight all the different kinds of vampires. She knows how to fight every single different kind of vampire. And her finale, like her end, is so offhanded. Yeah, it was kind of disappointing that she got, you know, infected, whatever, by Dink. Yeah, like and, me, and then just used. Right. We set her up to be this really cool character. She's got a daughter. She's working to protect her daughter. She's doing this for money because she wanted to be a great cop. But it turns out that the Mexican police force is so corrupt. There's no way she can actually be a good cop because there's no space for good cops. And so she ends up falling in with Deep Crimson, which is our um, kind of our human mob that yeah. controls Mexico City or at least part of Mexico City. And she gets, you know, recruited by them because they've never fought vampires. There are no vampires in Mexico City. And so she's teaching them how to fight vampires. And pretty much as soon as she's poised to become a really interesting, possibly useful character, Nick and Rodrigo find her and they just like shove blood in her mouth. Now she's infected, which we found out earlier is actually fatal. So right. even if long she term some, fatal, she's going to die long term. She's going to die now. Short term. She's a meat puppet. For, for Nick. Nick. And then she's a meat puppet for the rest of the for the rest of the book. When Nick showed up and um and you know, shoved his blood in her mouth, I expected her to have like prepared for that and like take been taking something just on the regs yeah. that would prevent her being Mm-mm. like controlled like that. And so for them to just show up and be like, oh hey. But it, now tell me everything and pretend like I'm not controlling you and keep going along with. Yeah, she ends the up crim- just being the device gang. for dragging Nick and Rodrigo into the plot. I mean, that's all she ends up being. And I, I felt for that character because she could have been such a cool character and she ends up just being a vehicle. Just being a vehicle for this. And then yeah. the way we get rid of Deep Crimson, because Deep Crimson is being set up to be an, another interesting aspect of this. And instead, it's like, oh, we'll just send them in first. Right. And the Revenant the, will kill all of them, and then we'll just come in and take out. The Adel. role of the gangs inside Mexico City was interesting. Like, from what I understand, the there's five big gangs in Mexico City, and they were a big part of Mexico City seceding from the country of Mexico and right. become their becoming their own autonomous city state uh, because the gangs wanted a vampire free space 
because the vampires kept taking over gang territory. Yeah. And so they wanted, you know, a, a fortified place that they could keep vampires out more just to maintain their their power. And so once they do that, their role in the city is partly just to continue their illicit business and make money illegally, whatever. But they're also kind of maintainers and protectors of the city. Yeah. The main thing that actually keeps the vampires out is that the gangs are the biggest vampire, like. Anti-vampire. Yeah. 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 And, and so there's there's a lot of potential there for like we could have had a big cool gang war. Yeah, they bring in yeah. Anna and they're like, "Look, you know, we're we're a gang. We do drugs, whatever. Uh, but we're also here to protect the city. So we're bringing you in because you can help us protect the city. And we're not going to like, you know, blackmail you about that whatever." You're literally a consultant to help us. Yeah. So let's let's take care of this problem and keep this city safe so that you and your daughter can stay, you know, continue to live in a vampire-free city. And that's kind of what gets Anna in. Yeah. And fair. Yeah. Okay. So there's a lot of there's a lot of interactions and motivations that work really well, that feel very plausible. And the character interactions are kind of fun. But then you outside of these little just like snapshots of character interactions, the larger plot connections feel pretty forced. Yeah. Yeah. Like Domingo, again, I, I don't I like all the parts of this novel. They just don't fit together like the puzzle you want them to fit together. They don't ever end up clicking in the way that really makes a novel feel whole and complete. And Domingo is one of those that, while he is a semi-interesting character, he ends up being extremely convenient because she's like, I want a gun. He's like, okay, I know where we can buy a gun. I want this. Okay, well, I know where we need to go to get that. And then he's the one who goes to Bernardino, and he ends up being just so bland that Bernardino doesn't feel like killing him. Because, uh, so unafraid, yeah, conveniently unafraid, so conveniently unafraid, and then ultimately she gets attacked. They get because Anna helps Deep Crimson enough that they're able to find find Adel because of course they see that somebody's seen the dog, and so they just go to find the dog. Right, and, and it's such a distinctive. It's such a distinctive uh, dog feature. And she gets shot by some silver nitrate darts, and Domingo knows. Somebody who can take out the darts and Domingo knows somebody who can, you know, and they end up he, getting. He knows a, uh, an internet cafe that doesn't check IDs. Yeah. He, yeah. he just ends up being. And then ultimately at the end, when after they've, she's gotten healthy, she's gotten, he's gotten her away from Jackal and from Nick and they have a big showdown where Nick ends up eating like half a dozen people and creating a huge scene that is obviously vampiric. Now they can't leave the city because everything's on high alert. Well, hot damn, wouldn't you know it? Domingo knows a way to just walk out of the city because he knows the he knows the landfills because that's what he does. He's a trash guy. And so they're like, okay, sure. 
And then they have a conversation in front of Anna about where they're going. They're like, oh, yeah, let's go to that landfill. Do you think we can still make it tonight? Yeah, sure. Let's go. Okay. I mean, I don't want to feel I, I wanted to love this book. And I feel like there is a world where this book is lovable. I just feel like this book needed 200 more pages. It needed actual stakes. I mean, of course, Adel could die. But at that point, I don't know what Adel dying means. Like if Nick kills her, what does that do? Her family is not like a redemp. It doesn't have an inherently redemptive quality. They are also a drug cartel. It's two drug cartels. Right. They're a drug cartel who kills lots of humans. Yeah. And and her entire life, she's just been um, narcissistically living her rich life, feeding on human blood whenever she wanted it. Yeah. And- and she's you know, driving no, fancy cars she's and no wearing less, fancy clothes. She's no less of a narcissist at the end. I don't believe she's redemptive in any way, shape, or form because she's killed her way through this plot. And now she's just going to leave. She doesn't even stick around for the dog. The dog that we stuck around for, this, and the dog that she kept right, with Bernardino, her this Is it Bernardino or Domingo? One of them tells her, oh, yeah, the dog got shot, Anna, or... You know, that lady shot the dog, it's probably dead. And she doesn't like, even go say goodbye to her, like this companion that she's had for years that has yeah. been loyal and defended her and saved her life a bunch of times. Yeah. She doesn't even go she's say like, goodbye. Well, I ain't got time for that shit. So, he, yeah, I either need to just inherently care about the character and that be the stakes, or her death needs to be the trigger for something really big. Like, I need to know that she needs to survive. I don't believe at any point in this novel that she needs to survive. Even when she and Domingo ultimately get together, it still feels narcissistic. It still feels convenient in the moment. Like, well, he's here. He's not horrible looking. And I gave him my blood earlier, so he's seen memories of me and he's not running away. So I guess this is cool. Like, let's just let's just do this while we're here. And then ultimately she leaves him. She's like, yeah, thanks for all your help. Thanks for risking your life. Thanks for torpedoing everything, at, you know, because the jackal is dead. Quinto is dead. Most of your friends are dead. Thanks for that. Uh, here's some money. Have a great day. And so I guess he gets the dog like in the His divorce. ex-girlfriend is not dead. Oh, okay. Just what? mostly drained. Of blood. Well, he gets the dog in the divorce, I guess, because he goes yeah. back and Quali's like, "Hey, er- everything cool?" And he's like, "Oh, hey, Quali," and he just like puts him in a shopping cart and wheels him off. And the last scene is him sleeping with the dog. Yeah, yeah, and that's kind of Bernardino doesn't die. You kind of think he might for like a second, and then he doesn't die. And I think that's just the, maybe that's my problem with this is I just wanted to care more. I just wanted to care more about anybody in this book. Yeah, I I could see this book as a like novella in this universe. Yeah. As either like a novella of what happened after the like series of novels about Adel's mom, you know, escaping yeah. the yes. rest like Fighting in the revolution establishing and establishing her family, yeah, and establishing the whole family group 
And she explained that until 19, until it was revealed that vampires exist, her family was much more integrated in the society and like sold some weed. Yeah. And that's pretty much it. Right. And, and maintained this long tradition uh, that they had like acquired from living yeah, with the they're, Aztecs. They're Aztec vampires. They are, yeah. or they predate the Aztecs, but they were warrior priestesses. I want my warrior priestess novel. Like I want mom, big mama, adult mama, who is a warrior priestess who goes through this really cool life and meets Bernardino meets Elisa meets all of these characters that we end up cashing in chips in order to further the plot in this book. And then when I get to this book and I find out she's died, I want that to be the saddest thing I've ever heard in my life. And then every time Adel goes to meet these people that I fell in love with in the first book, but who were ultimately betrayed by Adel's mother, I want to be like, oh, her mom didn't tell her the whole story. How are they going to react? Yeah. I want, that's what I want when I go into this. And then at the end of it, I want another novel that's about. Right. Maybe she goes to the Amazon and finds another vampire clan. Literally. That and, yeah. she's like compatible with or something. I just want to know why it mattered that she lived. I mean, of course, nobody should die. That's not, but I'm talking about this fictional character. I want to know why that, why she mattered. Right. The, the narrative kind of has to mean something. Right. I, I. I'm just shrugging because I'm trying to figure out how to like delicately phrase this as I just never attached to her as a character because she didn't feel like she had enough agency. She just feels like she takes advantage of everybody she meets. She meets Domingo. Yeah. She takes advantage of Domingo. She was previously taking advantage of her sister and her family. And once she didn't have them to take advantage of anymore, she didn't know what to do. And then as soon as she gets Domingo, she takes advantage of him. As soon as she finds Eliza, she manipulates her into getting what she wants. And then she meets Bernardino, and she manipulates him into getting what she wants. Yeah, the Bernardino interaction, like, the first interaction was like, okay, cool. Here's this solo vampire who has a lot of influence and can help, you know, just following, like, the proper forms of hospitality and all that stuff. Does he eat the cats? Does he eat the cats? So the <laughs> uh, the first time he grudgingly, like he he acknowledges his debt to Atle's mother and provides a name to get to the lady who can provide documents for them to you know leave Mexico. Yeah. And I'm thinking, okay, that's the last we're going to see of Bernardino. But then they show, they're like, okay, like we have nothing left. She's injured, all this stuff. They go back and Bernardino's like, what the fuck are you doing here? She's like, there was nowhere else to go. I need your help. And he's like, I'm not going to help you. Get out of my house. Yeah. Like I had to send my, my Renfield away for my safety because or for her safety for his renfield safety yeah because since everybody's on such high alert like i need to avoid the, any extra scrutiny on me and my household and like my support structure 
having you here in my house is dangerous to me and I care about myself. Yeah. So I'm going to make sure that I survive. And then she kind of whines at him for a little bit. And then he's like, oh, okay, fine. I'll do everything in my power to assist you, even putting myself in grave risk. Yeah. And doing things that are uncomfortable for me, like going outside near large groups of people. Right. And then because your mom was cool. Because your mom was cool. And then he's accompanying them to the the landfill and he's just out there trashing humans and draining their life force and fighting a necro vampire and just out in the open. Right. And he keeps giving her life force. After all that BS, he's like, oh, okay, here, have another hit of that Bernardino juice. Yeah. But you're not going to get another one, but maybe you will. I don't know. Yeah. Depends on what you need. So that that felt a little bit contrived. You know what it feels like? And I think we'll probably leave it here because if we keep going on this for too long, we're going to just get negative. And I don't want to get too negative because I don't think this is a bad book. I just don't think it's a great book. Coming off of uh, Geometry for Ocelots, Two Certain Dark Things was a, not a good choice because we went from... It, it was like when we did roller coaster parks for our honeymoon and we started at Cedar Point. Yeah. And then we went to the other ones. It's like we we had this really great one and now we're... Yeah. It, this and one's, they're fine. It's they're fine on its own. Fine. They're just not Cedar Point. I yeah. mean, it's great. Is it? It's just not Dune. It's great. It's just not Geometry for Ocelots. It's okay. It's just not. She's just not. You know, some of the other books that we've read that felt right. more. I, I was engaged with this book for probably three quarters of it. Yeah. And I, I liked all the, you know, the snippets of character interactions that felt very natural. Yeah. And organic and interesting things were coming up. It's. It just didn't, um, you know, all fit together in the end. It felt like a Vampire the Masquerade campaign where the game master didn't do a very good job of explaining the stakes of survival. So the only yeah. reason you're staying alive is because it's your character and you don't want to roll another sheet. And then you are having a hard time figuring out how to get out of the city so the Done, the games master keeps introducing characters that have it a ton keeps of keeps escalating things. Keeps for escalating you. the NPC characters that will help you get out of the city. Oh, has anybody rolled an intelligence check to ask Domingo if he knows how to get out of the city? And then he knows, you know, like the games master knows there's a big showdown coming with the Necros vampires and that you didn't spend any time going around and gathering resources or anything. Yeah. And so rather than risk you killing the entire party, he introduces a overpowered NPC to to tag along. To tag along, like, oh, it's okay. You guys successfully convinced Bernardino to help you out. Like he rolled a one, and you guys rolled a natural twenty, and now Bernardino's going to follow you, and Bernardino ends up saving the day because he kills oh, everybody. Yeah, he absolutely. kills Nick. He kills Rodrigo. He kills. Had Bernardino not been there, they all would have died. They all would have died. So, and then that's the end of that, because everybody dies. Deep Crimson dies, Anna dies, Nick dies, Rodrigo dies, all the henchmen die. The only people who don't die are Domingo, Bernardino, and Adel, and Quali, and that's it. 
And we don't even know what happens to Marisol. She probably never knows what happens to her mom. That's a good point. Because her mom was like, hey, yeah, we're going to go on a vacation, you and me. We're going to go. You and I, we're going to go to Cuba. And she's like, cool, mom. I think that'll be a lot of fun. And then we never see her again. That's what I'm saying. This just feels like, yeah, you're right. It feels like a novella in a bigger universe. And I want the rest of the universe. This is cool. I think this could be a super cool universe. I just want more of it. Like, I want more than this. Yeah. So our next book of the month is The Thousand Deaths of Arder Ben. Yes. For the November. And that's another one neither one of us have read. Yep. So that should be good. I put that on there because I wanted you to have one of your your favorite types of books. The smart male character, the smart outcast male character who ends up saving the world just by being like honest and smart and cool. Okay. Cool. So hopefully that one feels that that's a good chaser to certain dark things. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. I've seen it. I've seen it recommended quite a few places. So we will read that and it will that of course will air the last Tuesday of November. So So remember, sometimes the strangest things are the most beautiful too. So be who you are and love what you love. Until next time, friends. Bye. Bye.